Welcome to our podcast, All About the Car, brought to you by Sherrill Tire and Service. I'm your host, Rob Hoffman, an auto service specialist with over 46 years of industry experience. On the ride with me today, our regular guest, Brian Call, a 42-year veteran of the automotive industry. Hello, Brian. Hey, Rob. How are we doing today? Fantastic. And Bill Sherrill, a guy that's logged a lot of Wisconsin country miles and always has a lot of great questions. Welcome back, Bill. Thanks, Rob. Glad to be here. Today, we have a very special guest on the drive, Greg Gutschow, a director of marketing in Amherst, Wisconsin, the school system. We are on location at Heartland Farms football field just on the outskirts of Amherst. Thank you so much for hosting our podcast today, Greg. Hey, I appreciate you guys coming out. It's a great place to be. Today, we're going to learn more about the newly renovated Heartland Farms High School Sports Field and what it means to the students and its surrounding communities. Every year, as our summer turns to fall, we start thinking about hot cider, corn mazes, carving pumpkins, and changing colors, and of course, high school sports. What not a better place to spend a Friday evening than at an Amherst Falcons high school football game right here at the Heartland Farms Field. So, Greg, once again, thanks for allowing us to be in your space here in Amherst. How long has the Tomorrow River School District been in existence? Well, I'm glad that the timing on this is perfect because we're actually working on a history wall here at the district. And if not for that, I would have had to dig back through the archives (laughs) to, to be able to answer that question. But one of our history teachers here is leading the charge on this history wall. And it's a really exciting project, but it actually goes all the way back to 1855, believe it or not. So just seven years after Wisconsin became a state, our first little schoolhouses were built in the community. And those were the little country schools. Little one-room deals. Exactly. So hewn log, single-room schools. And we had one, a couple of them. The one was called the Fleming School and the Pipe School. Then three years later... We built one called Little Red, and it was actually straight across the river here in Amherst on the Mill Pond. Again, single room, and that stood for about 13 years. And then they built a two-story, just called the White Schoolhouse, (laughs) two-story in the same location across the river. So, yeah, it goes back very long time, the history here of the Tomorrow River School District. Any of those buildings still standing? No, no. After the two-story white building wasn't utilized anymore, then... Footprint became here. They came across the river and built a building here. It was actually a brick building, and that was in 1892. That's when this footprint became the Tomorrow River School District, where we are right now. That's so 1892. Wow, that's a long history and a lot of foresight to have education in the community. Exactly. Yeah. You don't know exactly how that all got started, right? But it always comes back to families and, right, and people. great, great people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, and we have that here. We're blessed with fantastic people in this community. So when we talk about the Tomorrow River School District, is that what we're seeing here right here? Is there any other schools out there? Right. So the school district here, and then we have a charter school that actually rents from University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point, out at the Central Wisconsin Environmental Station. So over near Sunset Lake. Okay, yeah. Yeah, UWSP has a fantastic facility out there. We have a charter school. It's a Waldorf-affiliated school, and about 187 or so students that go there every day for school, and then about another 40 or so that participate in our virtual school, which is affiliated with the charter. So 220-ish or so students that are part of our family here at the Tomorrow River School District through our charter. Oh, wow. Okay. And what geographic 
district do you serve for that? Do people bus? I mean, obviously they do because they see a bus out back. Sure. Yeah. So what is the geography of how far of space do you cover? Yeah, I would say we go out about eight miles or so in every direction, just kind of roughly speaking. That's the size of the district, about an eight mile radius from here. So it's a pretty large district. And then we also have kids that open enroll and come from basically a three county area from Portage, Wapaka, Washera. So we talk now about education as we're in competition for every student. Kids have the opportunity now to enroll anywhere. They can do virtual, they can go charter, they can open enroll at a district outside of where they live. So we view our position here at Tomorrow River as being, hey, we need to go out and try to attract students to our school district and make it the best experience, best learning experience we can possibly give them. I would imagine athletics is a pretty strong attraction as well. Amherst is kind of known for some uh, <laughs> for their athletic program, and we're sitting here talking about the Heartland Farms field, which is just absolutely amazing, just out the window here. Thank looking you. At. Yeah. So what is the importance of athletics, in your opinion, with the youth here in Amherst? I think it's critical. It's one of the pillars that I think a family, I would say, utilizes to make their decision of where they would like to have their kid going to school. It's part of it. Academics is obviously at the top, of course, for most families, but athletics is a strong attractor too. And what we find is the kids that are student athletes here at Amherst, I think our average GPA among our high school student athletes is something like 35 I mean, it's just phenomenal. So, and there have been studies done across the country about the value of athletics for kids. So academically, they seem to perform better. We have less problems with them in terms of behavior problems in the classroom. So generally speaking, and I don't care whether it's athletics or some other extracurricular, if you're involved in the band or you participate in the school play. Just keeping them busy. Yeah, FBLA, whatever it is, right? And we have a fantastic suite of offerings here at the district in terms of extracurriculars. So, But the athletic program, yeah, there are a lot of people who have done a lot of heavy lifting to make Amherst sort of known now statewide, I would say, as a really strong athletic school. So I'd go national. Yeah. With some of the former students in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're yeah. not talking about Tyler and Beyond. <laughs> that would be one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because that year in 2015, when Tyler was a senior and Garrick Groshek, it was a phenomenal team, of course. I think rose as high as third in the national rankings. So Amherst, the Amherst football team among small schools. That was a strong year. According to Max Preps, was ranked number three in the nation. Oh my gosh, that's unbelievable. Yeah, and that group, if you follow them from freshman through their four years playing football, lost three games in four years. They were undefeated as freshmen. They won the state championship in 2012. That was our first state championship here. And that team, that 2012 team, really put us on the map. And then I think in as sophomores, that group lost two games, both of them to eventual state champions. It was Shyockton and Stanley Boyd. Both went on to win the Division Six and Division Five state championships that year. As juniors, they lost one game, and it was in the state championship against Lancaster. And then as seniors, they went 14-0 and won the state championship. And None of the games that season were really even close. It was a dominant, dominant team. So, yeah, truly blessed. And, and yeah, to have a kid from Amherst, a little town of a thousand, 
being the starting center for the Dallas Cowboys right now. Absolutely amazing. Incredible. Yeah. I watched the Cowboys just because of that. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of people do. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. And Tyler has always been great about acknowledging his roots here in Amherst. When he's interviewed from the time he was playing for the Wisconsin Badgers, and this goes for Garrett Groshek as well, they always pointed back to Amherst and their coaches here and their teachers here and the community. And that's appreciated. I know. Absolutely. They haven't forgotten their roots. I just wonder, our future greats that are you're making or producing right here in Amherst these days, how much do they really appreciate this beautiful field that, when was this built? I mean, when right. did this come to be? Right. So 2019, we had our grand opening for Heartland Farms Field, but the effort really began a couple of years prior, around 2017-ish. And we knew that at that time, A, we had a really strong need. Our facilities at the time were subpar. And I think anybody here in the community would say the same. They just did not stack up against the other schools in our conference. Our track was unusable, unsafe, basically. We had a six-lane asphalt track that was crumbling, falling apart. Our football field was in really bad shape. We had very small bleachers. It just something needed to be done. And frankly, you know, if speaking about that team in 2015 and that run of four state championships that we won as a football team during like a seven year period, that was the catalyst, right? And you have to, as a community, capitalize on that excitement and that energy and say, if we're ever going to build it, now's the time, right? Now's the time. The economy was good. People were super proud of what was happening here. They reached into their wallets and they donated and helped us build this complex without us having to go to referendum, which is phenomenal. So really the community support and the surrounding areas, all the support really came together to produce what we're seeing here today. Yeah. And we weren't frankly sure. We had a plan. We worked with Point of Beginning and Stevens Point. Scott Grahalski, who owns the company, is an Amherst grad. So he was able to build the plan for us, have all the design, the renderings, the engineering piece of it we had as a really fantastic donation from Point of Beginning. And that got us started. Okay. We now had a picture of what this might look like. And then it's like, okay, is it viable? It's a $5 million project in total. How can we achieve this? And our first visit was with Richard Pavelski at Heartland Farms. And Dick's family settled here. His grandfather settled here. And the first family farm was just outside of Amherst. That's where they started growing potatoes. Wow, this is deep history. Yeah. And that eventually (laughs) became what Heartland Farms is today, which most people have heard of it. It's huge. It's phenomenal. There's the Farming for the Future facility in Plover now. But Richard was our first visit and he gave an incredible gift during that first meeting. And that got us going. That allowed us to then go to the next donor and the next donor. And it's fundraising is all about momentum. You start getting a couple of really significant gifts and people start believing that you can make it happen, that this could really happen. And they say, okay, I want to be part of it. It was a humbling two-year fundraising project. I was a volunteer member of the fundraising committee at the time. We had five people, not school employees, but working with our school board and kind of reporting to them on a monthly basis as to how the fundraising was going. And you survive. You must have really liked what you do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And now I work here. So, but it was a fantastic process and hundreds and hundreds of people have made donations to what is what you see out here now at Heartland Farms Field and the entire athletic complex, because it's not just the football slash soccer field. It's a new eight lane running track. 
we greatly improved our baseball and softball fields. So the facilities here, I would say now are not what they used to be the worst in the conference. They're now the best in the conference and maybe some of the best in the region. And there's no reason we always said during the fundraising, why shouldn't we aspire to have the best? facilities that we can possibly have within reason, obviously. You talk about students wanting to come to a school district, and I went to the University of Wisconsin for my undergrad degree, and I was working for the student newspaper, and I was working for the sports department. I interviewed one of the football coach there at the time, the head coach. I was talking to him about recruiting, and how do you get kids to want to come play football at the University of Wisconsin? And he said, it really comes down to three things. It's facilities, it's your tradition, And it's the opportunity to play. So a kid looks at those three things. Do you have great facilities? Yes. Check. Yes. Check. Right. (laughs) Do you have a great athletic tradition, football tradition at this school? Check. Check, Right. And do I have an opportunity to play? And that's also a great check mark here at Amherst because we're a small school. Our football coach goes and grabs kids. If he sees a kid that he thinks can play football as a seventh, eighth grade freshman, and eventually become a good football player, he's grabbing them and saying, hey, why aren't you up for football? So that's recruitment 101 right there. Yeah, He's saying, come on, try it. And if the kid says, well, I'm not big enough or I'm not strong enough, his answer is, hey, don't worry about it. We will make you a great player. Come try it. So yeah, we have dozens and dozens of kids that go out for football and that makes you a great program. So, And speaking of being the best, my research, I found out that the Heartland Farms field was the winner of the home field pride contest. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. Kind of a neat contest that WithSports.net started in partnership with Midwest Sport and Turf Systems. So it was the year actually that I hired on here and took the position as director of marketing. This contest comes down the pipe and Amherst is one of the nominees and I'm going, okay, holy smokes, I'm the director of marketing. And we're now in a competition that's going to take some marketing horsepower. If I'm going to prove my worth, we better win this thing. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Or my job might be short-lived. Be traded off. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. So, and again, I think the energy that we had built through the Falcon Pride Project, we had built an audience of almost a thousand followers on this Falcon Pride Project Facebook page. Okay. We had hundreds and hundreds of donors. Now our athletic complex is up for this award. And so the horsepower was already built in, right? We had the army of fans and followers already there, super proud of what we had here in Amherst and ready to vote and vote and vote and vote. So through a great social media effort and the students really getting on board with it. And I think that's what we maybe did better than other schools was really activating the student body to vote and to get their family and friends to vote. And yeah, little old Amherst won against a lot of really big division one schools, which was amazing. So great story. Yeah. It was like 31 nominees is what I found out, which is crazy. And over 52,000 votes. I got to believe that's all local, right? Yeah. For the most part. It is, but it's amazing the tentacles, right? How social media can reach and how a podcast like this can reach out to people from not just even in the United States, but internationally. It's crazy. So yeah, the support came from, and we needed it. We needed every vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, Greg, you had mentioned there's a lot of upgrades for all the sports that are done here on this property. So that football field, that's used for, you said, soccer as well? Yeah, and very intentionally wanted the turf field to be a multi-use field. 
there are a lot of demands of every school, every square foot of real estate that you have and green space, you need to be able to utilize in the most efficient way possible. So our soccer program was up and coming at the time. They were playing their games in Stevens Point, actually. They had to travel to practice and play. We didn't have, we just did not have a field here that was suitable for them. So yeah, this field is built for soccer. It has the soccer markings on it. We can host all the way through regionals, given the size of our soccer field out here. So, and our soccer program's getting better and better. They were just recently did well in the playoffs. They were a four seed. So we have boys and girls soccer, but our baseball and softball teams practice out here in the spring because usually the grass and dirt fields are too wet or they still have snow on them. So they're practicing right on the football yeah, field? Yeah. They oh, go wow. They, nice. And they love it. They go out on the turf field. They're able to hit ground balls and shag fly balls. And because that, we're able to clear and it drains so fantastically that, yeah, as soon as we can get the snow off it, you can go and play out there. And on an average day, today it's kind of gloomy but and a little bit rainy out there. But during an average school day, there are physical education classes on that field from first hour through the end of the school day. They want to be outside, not in the gymnasium. If at all possible, they're out there. Our band, they're out there marching and practicing. Color guard, our everybody. So yeah, it's been a fantastic addition. It's expensive, I mean, to build. And then you have a replacement cost eventually, which we know is coming. Usually a turf field lasts 12 to 15 years, but there's very little maintenance required compared to a grass to having a good, if you want a good grass field, it's very labor intensive and very costly. Right, right. So, yep. Now, have you, I know it's only been since 2019, but have you seen an uptick in interest in sports in Amherst, in the school here, because of the playing fields? Yeah. And I think that's come through expanded opportunities. Our soccer, both boys and girls have grown. And I think there's more interest now in soccer because we have this great field to play on. Right. If you have to travel, if you have to go and get in your car after school, it's not practical. And drive right. to Stevens Point to practice, right? Yeah. How many kids are going to sign up for that? So I think football has been the participation level has been strong for a long time. I think it's in these other areas where the participation has, where we've seen a nice increase, and that's what we want is again to have a great menu of offerings for our kids and the opportunity to play. The opportunity to play. Here at Amherst, if you want to be in the school play, you want to be in the band, you want to be on the football team, you can be on any of those teams or in any of those productions, right? At some larger districts, you just might not be able to be on the team or in the band or in the play because of numbers. It just becomes a numbers crunch. But our enrollment is at sort of just right size where you have the opportunity to play here. And locally. Yeah. Yeah. That's that third check that we talked about earlier. Yeah, the opportunity to play. Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Well, as with every All About the Car podcast, we always break away halfway through our podcast and visit a Wisconsin destination that's usually unique. And this time we're going to do a virtual tour of covered bridges. And we actually have one that's relatively close to where we're sitting in Amherst right now, over towards Wapaka. And that one's actually called the Red Mill Covered Bridge. Actually made in 1970, built in 1970, so not the really old ones. As a matter of fact, there's five authentic covered bridges in the state of Wisconsin. 
but only one of them is historic. And that bridge is the Cedarburg Covered Bridge, which was built in 1876. That goes back a ways. That goes back a ways. <laughs> now, the question you might be asking is, what makes a bridge or a covered bridge authentic? And that is a lattice-type structure. Brian, can you paint a picture of that for us? What's a lattice structure? Oh, it's the side of the bridge where it's attached to the structure of it to keep the lateral movement down. So it's actually interlocking all of the beams with each other to give it that strength and support. Okay. When I picture lattice, I almost can picture that small that framework stuff. that you see around the base of a deck or yeah. a porch. I think of the top of a pie. Oh, there well, we you would go. Same thing. <laughs> it's a little more beefier than that. Yeah, though. well, you know. <laughs> Same concept. So there's a lot of covered bridges out there that don't use that type of structure work, but they're not officially a covered bridge. I guess authentic if they... So there's two big reasons why the covered bridge was designed the way it is, other than from structure. Tell us what those are. What are they? One of them is... They keep the snow off the bridge. Exactly. It protects the wood? Protects the wood okay. for longevity. And the other going way back was to prevent... The horses and the cattle that would use the bridge from getting spooked. So it would shield them from looking out to the side and uh, there's just a drop off down to the water. And that would keep them from getting spooked, kind of like the blinders on. Yep, that makes sense. Yep. And as soon as our horse and carriage travel ended and cars became to be, the cars didn't really care. They didn't care too much. <laughs> well, I, do, I know some people who do now still like to go over bridges if they can see out too oh, far. Oh, sure. My sure. wife would be one of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I know if it's just the horse and the cattle that prefer not to go over bridges. So I shouldn't put blinders on my wife? <laughs> no, well, if she's okay with it, yeah, it might help her calm down. <laughs> Now, we've talked about the uh, Wisconsin Rustic Roads in the past as well, and there is a covered bridge on a Wisconsin Rustic Road, number 105, and that is in the, I'm going to beat this up, but the Chequamagon County or area, Flambeau River, it goes over. That one was built in 1991, so that's a later thought, but it is a covered bridge, official, authentic covered bridge, and you can also enjoy Rustic Road number 105. That'd be a great day out on the road. It would be. That's a great tour. I've been through a couple of covered bridges myself, but not in Wisconsin. So I've got to look a little closer to home. So back to the Heartland Farms field. And we're having a great conversation with Greg right here on site. And we talked earlier about the locally born and bred greats, Tyler Biotitz and Garrett Groshek. We know that Tyler is on the Dallas Cowboys, and I mentioned that's why I watched the Cowboys. Probably the only reason, but it's interesting watching and seeing that, knowing that he is homebred. Yeah, I happened. I was lucky enough to coach Tyler when he was young in baseball. So my son was the same grade with Garrett and Tyler. So they played in a little town. They play all the sports together, right? They're on the youth baseball sure. team together. They play flag football together everything. So I coached Tyler and Garrett in baseball, and you could see from an early age that those two guys were just advanced and kind of everything that they wanted to do athletically. They were both good at basketball, both good at baseball, just anything. So we kind of had a sense that they were going to do going some somewhere. special things. <laughs> yeah. And what, football obviously really became their niche and where they really, I think, where their talents could really be their best. So I think it was their junior year in high school. They were starting to go to camps, right, and see what their college prospects might be. Tyler went down in the summer of his junior year to the Badger camp. 
And he received his first offer was from Northern Illinois, I believe. His first Division I college offer. I think I'm accurate on this, but I could be wrong. But I think it was Northern Illinois. And shortly thereafter, he went to the Badgers camp and the Badgers saw him and Coach Christ offered him a scholarship. It didn't take long. They saw him at the camp and they knew they had watched him as a high school player here. They knew he was a good player. So he got an offer with the Badgers and Amherst had never had Division One kid at that level, a Power Five conference, getting a full ride offer like that. So, and then Garrett just decided in his senior year, he had offers at the Division Two level, some smaller Division Ones where he could have continued to play quarterback. He was a quarterback in high school, but he decided to walk on at Wisconsin. He believed that he was a Power Five, Big Ten Conference caliber football player. And his dream was to play for the Badgers. So he went as a preferred walk-on. And it didn't take long. Tyler Richard in his first year. And as a freshman, his second year, freshman eligibility, he was the starter on the offensive line at the University of Wisconsin. I mean, which is incredible to start that early in your college career. And Garrett, to his credit, switched some positions. He played quarterback for a little while, running back. He became the starting tailback at the University of Wisconsin his senior year. So followed in the footsteps of greats like Jonathan Taylor, who's one of the best running backs in the NFL right now for the Indianapolis Colts. So they both made their mark at the University of Wisconsin. Tyler now, obviously, again, he goes to the Dallas Cowboys as a fourth round draft pick. His rookie season, I don't think plays much, but his second season becomes the starter at center. So just incredible story. And and that's the kind of guy he's always been. It's like we knew here in Amherst, I had no doubt that Tyler was going to become a starter at the University of Wisconsin and have a great career. And I had no doubt that he was going to be a starter for the Dallas Cowboys. That's just the way he's wired. Very humble, hardworking kid. And Garrett is playing for the Pittsburgh Maulers in the USFL and has had a great career in the USFL. The really cool thing about Garrett, now you can go to one of our practices tonight. If you went out here and watched our high school football practice, Garrett's out there. Garrett comes to every practice. Their season ended, USFL season ended in June. He's living here locally. And so in the off season, he's here helping the coaching staff with our kids. Oh, that's awesome. That is cool. Yeah. That is good. I would have back. never guessed that. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. would have invited him to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <we> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, and not just once in a while, he is here with venture to say just about every night for practice. And that's you know, amazing. going up to the kids and giving them advice and if he wants to be a coach someday, he'd be a fantastic football coach or any kind of coach. What a way to motivate the young kids. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh, yes. I yeah. mean, who's really doing it? <laughs> like, wow. Right. And who's learned right. from coaches at the highest level, right? Speaking of coaching, I mean, we've got to give some coaching credits here too for all the years. Um, who's the main coach? Right. Who's the head coach? Right. So Mark Lusick is the head coach. He was hired here at 2008, 2009-ish. Came from Wapaka, and it's incredible how quickly things can turn around with the right people and the right team in place. And you guys see that in business. You see it in anything where effort and energy and just good people are required and have that passion, right, to achieve a goal. So Mark, to his credit, along with assistants Doug Spadoni, Rudy Pate, Mike Zableski, those four guys on our current staff have kind of been here from the beginning. And yeah, they turned it around. And it started, I think, with the weight room. They really emphasized to our kids that you have to weight train. You have to be in the best physical condition. We might not be the best athletically every single season, 
top to bottom with our roster, but we're going to be the strongest team in our conference. That's sort of their mindset. We're going to be in great shape. Physically speaking, we're going to be the best we can be. And that turned things around in a short period of time here at Amherst. Uh, The kids bought into it to the point where if a kid wasn't in the weight room at seven in the morning on a Saturday or whatever, they'd call him or they'd go knock on his door and say, hey, where are you? They made sure the entire team was there working together. So yeah, the coaching staff, it begins with great people, great teachers, great mentors. And Mark's a teacher here as well. Oh, is he? Okay. And so is Doug, Rudy Pate's wife. Sarah is a science teacher here. So yeah, it's... Dedication, community. Exactly. Everything wrapped up in one. How many players are there on the roster on the football team, the Falcons? Right. So we have 57 right now, which for our total high school enrollment is 350 ish and we have 57 guys out for football <laughs> so yeah <laughs> so they do know how good they have it here in Amherst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah again that's a testament to the coaches saying hey we want you on our team eighth or ninth grade boy doesn't always look like he might be a great football player right he might be 100 pounds soaking wet and they say hey we want you on our team and it really starts also at the youth level we have a great youth football program here in Amherst and have for years and years. And there are a lot of people in the community to thank for that. So yeah, it's really a community-wide effort. As with everything, these things just don't happen like magic. You know, it takes a community as we've been talking about. So I would imagine a lot of volunteer type work going on. Uh, You were a volunteer to start Mm -hmm. off with, you mentioned. Fundraisers, just all kinds of things I think the community gets involved in. Yeah. Kind of elaborate on that for us a little bit. Yeah. So if you come to a game here on Friday night, you'll see a concession stand that is bustling, a long line of people waiting to get a, a great cheeseburger. And, and we've got you some, mentioned of, good hamburgers. some of the best hamburgers around. Yeah. <laughs> we take pride in that too, you know, and there'll be four or five guys back on the grills, flipping burgers, the concession. Watching the game on a TV back there. <laughs> yeah, you're right. They have a flat screen set up because they have to kind of be back away from the field, but they have a flat screen there. There's a flat screen inside the concession stand so that the workers in there can watch the stream of the game while they're working. But yeah, and it takes a small army to serve all of our fans on a Friday night. And those people are all volunteers. They get nothing for it other than their kids. Usually we tap into the parent group for the youth teams, and they're the ones who are out there helping. Connie Zanella is a name that I want to mention. She's run our concession for years. A local woman here who, without her, I don't think we would be nearly as successful. But yeah, it takes volunteers. And our parent-teacher organization, our PTO, our Tomorrow River Business Association, all of them are invested. And when we need help or assistance with something, as simple as an email or a phone call, and generally they step right up and say, how can we help? And I think in a small community... The school is the heartbeat, usually, of that community. And when we did the Falcon Pride project, the messaging was invest in Falcon Pride. So the direct mail pieces that went out to our alumni, it was invest in Falcon Pride. And the invest word, I think, is important because there's truly return on investment when you invest in a school, in a local school, especially a small school, because our home values are tied to the quality of our school. I truly believe that. If if you're in a district that has a great school, it's a sought-after community then. Your business is going to do better. More people are going to come to your coffee shop on the corner, right? So I think that great school, usually great community. That's my belief. 
during the football game, you do something, I think, unique with the students. They've got their own section in the end zone. Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, there's a couple things. Something they love is the hot dog toss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to hear more about that. I was yeah. telling these guys about yeah. it. It's, well, it's awesome. Yeah. So we established, we call it the nest. So we're the Falcons. So oh, sure. the student section is the nest of where all our fledgling Falcons hang out, right? So we've created signage around that. The fire district is kind enough. They bring their ladder truck down. They fly a big falcon nest sign above the student section in the end zone. And at the end of the first quarter, and again, this is Connie and her team, they'll make up 20 or 30 hot dogs and wrap them in foil. And the cheerleaders come and get all these hot dogs and they run over to the nest and they toss free hot dogs into the student section. And Feeding the, the fledglings. <laughs> yeah. Only small town America would that happen. You have to feed the nest. And that's something I saw at the University of Wisconsin, the student section, right? It's famed to jump around, right? At the end of the third quarter, those kind of engagements and having your students be sort of, again, the heartbeat for events that happen at your school, I think is just critical. It's something I learned at the University of Wisconsin and tried to bring some of that here. And it's the kids love it. They usually have a theme every Friday night is they're dressed a certain way. It's a whiteout or it's whatever. And that happens for our basketball games as well. Volleyball, great student engagement. With all that energy, I got to believe the visiting team shows up here and says, oh my gosh, (laughs) do we have a chance? (laughs) That's the other part of it. I mean, that is the other part of it. I mean, you want home field advantage to be the best home field advantage that you can create. Absolutely. Buff up your chest a little bit and let's show them what we got. Absolutely. Greg, I want to put you on the spot here just a little bit. If you could have some parting words you would like to say to all the sports families and the local Amherst community out there, what would that be? Well, to the families who are here with kids currently enrolled at Amherst, I would say thank you. That's the biggest thing that I would say. And participate. I would say participate, get your kids engaged in. And again, I don't care if it's being on the football team or trying out for the play. So investment also means participation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, do I want families to contribute in terms of donation and things like that? Of course. We have fundraisers that are happening at any given time and we ask and, and they help. But Setting that aside, what I would say is participate. Take advantage of what we offer here in Amherst and get your kids as engaged as possible in those activities. And again, it might be FBLA, future business leaders. We have one of the best FBLA programs here at this school. They're always competing for regional championships, state championships. So participate. We see it in education all the time. Kids who are engaged in extracurriculars, They just are that much better equipped for after graduation, whether that means they're going to go to a tech school, they're going to go into the military or go to a four year. I don't care what path they choose or go directly into a career. Maybe they're going to come and work for Cheryl Tire and Service right after graduation. We want to provide the best possible employee for your business. And that goes for our local businesses as well, like Drexel Building Supply or Legacy Steel. We've got some great companies here in our little town. So future ready is something we talk about here at Amherst with our students and trying to build a graduate profile. And that participation piece, I think is critical. We offer a lot of opportunities for our kids. So 
take advantage of that and engage. Great parting words for the Amherst community, for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Greg, for hosting this episode of All About the Car. We wish the best to all of the Amherst sports teams as you enjoy this beautiful Heartland Farms field. Thank you for having me, and thanks very much to Cheryl Tire and Service for being a partner and great friend to our community. We appreciate it. We hope to have you right along next time on All About the Car. To listen to previous episodes, find additional resources, or to simply send us a message, head to allaboutthecarpodcast.com. We'll see you next time.